0: Matthew 19. So this is one of those passages that uh, the senior pastor uh, conveniently leaves to go down uh, to a different church and gives to his assistant. Um, And so we are going to kind of do a two-part series on this, and so I'm going to kind of give it back to him uh, after this week. But we're going to start in verse uh, 1, chapter 19. All right, so why don't we stand, and I'm going to read for us the first nine verses of Matthew 19. All right, so hear the word of the Lord. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea, to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, "...that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother, and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce, and to send her away?" Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. You may be seated. All right. Well, let's dive into this um, sticky wicket, as uh, Sant likes to call it. So, um, I'm guessing that probably at least most of us have been to at least maybe one wedding or two kind of in our our lifetime. And you've probably heard the phrase there in verse six, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Or maybe the older school version, the KJV, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And we've probably heard that phrase being pronounced. At a wedding, uh, I've had the privilege of uh, being able to participate and lead in a few weddings of uh, some of the guys that I discipled down um, in Charlotte, and it was, a, it was a really fun thing. But I, I told them as I, I got to the, what's called the homily, the kind of the message of the wedding, I told them a few things, and I wanted to share them with you as we approach this topic of marriage and divorce this morning. And I told them a few things like this. I said there are many in our culture who do not see marriage as all that great of a thing. Some see it as a ball and chain, others a restriction on fun or pleasure, and maybe others see it as only for the older people who are ready to settle down, and maybe others still not even necessary. But when we come to the Scriptures, we see a very different picture of marriage. Marriage is one of the most holy and basic institutions that God Himself ordained and designed and created Marriage is God's idea. It's not an invention of man or culture or even government, but it's God's. And therefore, he has the the right alone to define what marriage looks like, what marriage should be, what its purpose is, and how we are to participate in these things. And as I've, I've stood there on several occasions and I've reminded them of these truths, and I exhorted them to remember this as they enter into this covenant this bond, this unity called marriage. Because it's so important because there, is, there are forces with inside them and from without them trying to separate what God has put together. Maybe it's their own sinfulness or their own lust or whatever it is. Or maybe it's the outside culture saying, ah, you really don't need to get married. You can wait for that. It's really not necessary. Ah, you can do it if you want. And so I reminded them to remember these things all the days of their marriage. And I think these are especially important as we come to the topic of marriage today and divorce, as Jesus teaches on it in Matthew 19. And so I think today we're going to see kind of one overarching idea that really that God's intention is marriage, while God's exception and last resort is divorce. Let me say that one more time. God's intention is marriage, while God's exception and last resort is divorce. And so we're just going to look at two uh, main ideas and it's just going to be kind of a a plain Jane sermon um, in the sense that we're just going to look at the text and kind of walk through it and leave more application for next week when um, Santo's here. Um, And so let's dive into the first one, God's intention for marriage. God's intention for marriage. So the text we just read a minute ago kind of sets up the scene here, right? What we have is Jesus, he's leaving a place called Galilee. He's going to a place called Judea, and the crowds are following him. He's continuing his work of of healing people as they come. And this is kind of the scene that's going on. And once again, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of that time, they are coming to what? They're coming to test Jesus by asking him a question. And we, we talked about this before, and I think even one of the previous sermons that I preached, we talked about when they came up to ask him a question, to test him, that means they're trying to trick him up. They're trying to throw him under the bus. They're trying to give him a question that no, no matter what he answers, it will go bad. It's kind of one of those questions that maybe uh, a reporter asks a politician or you know, a, a sports figure or something like that. The, the kind of question in which he spins it just a perfect way where no matter how you answer it, it's going bad one way or another. You're going to make mad this one group over here, or you're going to make mad another group over here. And that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're testing him. They're trying to trick him, throw him under the bus. So what's the question? Well, here it is, verse 3. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, before we jump into this uh, question and Jesus answers, I think it would be helpful to explore what would the Pharisees say to their own question? How would they answer the question? Or maybe a better way to say it is, what's in the back of their mind as they're asking this question about divorce? Well, commentators, they talk about the different views and different schools of thought that would have been in their minds in the Jewish world. And so one of, them, one of these commentators talks about the school of Shammai, which is more on the conservative side, saying that only sexual immorality and immodesty was a valid reason for divorce. The commentator goes on to say there's another school, the school of Hillel, which broadened it all the way, saying any cause was sufficient. And get this, even for burnt food or more attractive women. Okay, so if your wife wakes up in the, if you wake up in the morning, your wife goes down to make you some toast, she burns your toast, he can say, Alright, we're done. And uh, I'm gonna go find a new woman. Or a more attractive one, right? He gets tired of his his wife and he wants to go find a younger, more attractive woman. And so you see these polar opposites, right, of of thought kind of within the Jewish rabbis of the day. Some are very more restrictive and some are, are much more liberal in their thought as far as what are the valid grounds for divorce. And so that's kind of what's going on in their minds as they ask this question. So no matter what, Jesus is going to make someone mad, one side or the other. So with that in mind, let's go to verse 4 as we look at Jesus' response. And I want to read this just one more time for us. He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so realize what Jesus is doing here. As he is engaging the Pharisees and their tricky question, he is going back to the Word of God. He's appealing to the Word of God, the very Word of God the Pharisees should know inside and out. I mean, if there's one book of the Bible they should know really, really well, it should be Genesis, and let alone Genesis 1 and 2. And Jesus is going back to creation. He's going back to the beginning when he created the world in a perfect paradise, Genesis 1 and 2, and he reminds them, he says, look, I created, or God created them both male and female. And remember, just like we talked about earlier, marriage is God's idea. It's God's invention. He defines it. He says what it should look like. When Katie and I got married, I remember um, early on in our marriage, we went through a, a Bible study called Two Becoming One. I don't know if you guys have ever gone through that or or heard of it. But it's a a pretty well-known kind of marriage uh, Bible study type thing. But I thought the title was really fitting. Uh, And I think it comes from Genesis 2 here, right? Two people becoming one flesh, right? I left my parents and my family, and Katie left her parents and her family, and we became one. And we started a new family. We became one flesh. That's what the Bible says. And so Jesus' conclusion here, says, what God has joined together, what God joined together, let not man separate. Let not man separate. See the emphasis there. God has joined something together. Therefore, we have no right, man has no right to separate or to tear apart or to end the union that God has created. And it seems what Jesus is doing here is he's just basically taking the Pharisees back to the Bible. He's saying this is what the Bible says. He's interpreting it for them and he's applying it to this situation. And it's you know, as a side note, that's a good lesson for us as we deal with maybe various ethical questions or, or issues going on in our lives. Where we're saying, what does God want from us? Well, just like Jesus did, we go back to God's word and say, what does God's word have to say? And how do we apply it to this situation? Well, maybe some points of application here. You know, I, I think we're probably most of us are all familiar with the statistics about divorce and marriage. And even that the divorce rate in the church is probably just about as same or worse as the world um, out, outside of the church. We're also seeing marriage in our, our culture pushed back or delayed. The value of marriage is being lessened and more and more. And it's a good reminder for us here. Just this brief reminder of what God's intention for marriage was and is today. For those of us who are married, I think it's a good reminder for us to say this is what we've been called to. To becoming one. He's called us to be committed, to live together, to realize and to recognize afresh and to renew the gift that he has given us in our spouse. And also to go back to our vows and to say this is what I've committed to. In this two becoming one, when we came together to become married, this is what we committed to, for better or for worse, right? This is what God has called us to. But there's also an application here for those of us who are not married. It's more of a, a preparatory lesson. It's preparing us to say, this is what God's intention is for marriage. Put this in front of you to say, maybe when God provides me with a wife one day, and maybe he will, maybe he won't, or a husband, This is what marriage is to be. It is to be two people coming together, committed to each other, making a covenant, a promise, making vows, coming together, two becoming one. But maybe for some of us, God's not calling us to marriage. Maybe he's calling us to singleness. And we're actually going to talk about that because Jesus talks about that in the the passage right after ours. And that singleness is not second best. That's a very good calling, a wonderful calling, a gift in which Jesus calls and also Paul calls. But as we look at the topic of marriage today, it's both instructive for us, those who are married and those who are not married. And so with that in mind, let's move on to the second part, God's exception in divorce. God's exception in divorce. So the Pharisees, uh, they don't want to let Jesus off the hook, right? They said, we're not going to let you off the hook that easy. we got another question for you, right? we got a counter question. And the counter question is this. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? All right, so the Pharisees, they are perceptive here, right? They are perceptive and they are wanting to put Jesus in a pickle that he cannot get out of. And they realize that in Jesus' affirmation of marriage and what marriage is, that he does not give an exception. No exception he gives in that that sentence. But Moses did. And essentially he's saying, what's the deal, Jesus? I thought Moses was your guy. And yet you guys are seemingly disagreeing. What's going on here? And so the Pharisees are going back to Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, and we're not going to look at it right now, but that's where Jesus, or sorry, Moses permits divorce for certain reasons uh, in the Old Testament time. But Jesus, he goes to answer their question pretty honestly, I think, and pretty clearly in verse uh, 8 and 9. So why did Moses do what he did? Verse 8, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. And this is so crucial. But from the beginning, it was not so. I think there are three really important things here from this verse that we are to see. And first this, why was divorce even allowed? Why was divorce allowed? Well, the text says, because of hard hearts. Hearts that were affected by sin and by a fallen world, hardened to the things of God, Hearts that were dissatisfied with what God had provided them in, his, in that wife or in that husband. Hearts that wanted something more younger. Maybe it was something more attractive. Maybe something, uh, someone that would cook better food for them, as we talked about. Maybe whatever reason it was. Hearts that would say, I don't care what covenant I made with this person. I want out. Hard hearts. That is why Moses allowed, God allowed divorce the second thing is this and this is so crucial divorce was allowed it was not commanded the second thing is divorce was allowed not commanded and i think this is really important for us to see one commentary he kind of explains it this way in light of the creation principle that god does not want divorce moses statement becomes mere permission rather than command Mere permission rather than command. See, a lot of the commentators pointed back to the verse in Malachi where God says, I hate divorce. I hate divorce. It makes his heart sad that there is divorce. And so it's important for us to see that this is, a, uh, this is an allowance. This is a permission. It's not a command that one must get divorce If there's unfaithfulness, the third thing, Jesus, he argues back to creation, back to the beginning, back to when God had his original intention um, in, in the creation order. So marriage is what we call a creation ordinance. It's from the beginning. Right. It was a part of his original plan. When God created the world without sin and brokenness, he created a paradise in which marriage between one man and one woman existed in perfect harmony and in perfect unity and oneness. Divorce was not a part of that plan. Not a part of the perfect world and the perfect marriage. Think about what divorce is, right? Maybe some of us who experienced it. There is a breaking, a ripping, a separating of the oneness Of what was one, and now is again two. Maybe some of us have seen this firsthand, maybe in our our parents' lives, in our own lives. Maybe we've been hurt by it. And I think Jesus' words here, I think there's also an encouragement that this is not how things are supposed to be. This is not how things are supposed to be. It was not God's original design for marriage even as hard as it is for us to wrestle through those realities now and Jesus he continues speaking authoritatively on this subject verse 9 if you look with me it says and i say to you whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery so though divorce is not god's or, sorry though divorce is not god's intention for marriage in a fallen world he does allow or permit it in the case of sexual adu- or immorality or adultery or marital unfaithfulness, however your translation puts it. That is the exception that God gives. And so he does give an exception. He does tell the Pharisees, there is an exception that I do give. Now I realize that maybe all kind of questions are maybe popping in your head because they were in mine. What, is, what does it mean by sexual immorality? Is this something um, like looking at pornography? Is this uh, flirtation with someone who's not my wife or my husband? Is this kind of acts, physical acts leading up to sex? Or is this sex itself? And I think that's an important question um, in, in these cases when they do come up. The word here is porneia in the Greek and it's really important when we do come to a case like this, when there is someone who is unfaithful, when there is sexual immorality, to understand what it means and what it doesn't mean. And let, me, let me just summarize it this way without getting too deep into it. I wrestled through this, this um, the meaning of it, and I'm wrestling through some of the commentaries, and I think this might be a good summary. Any significant sexual sin that so severely severs the oneness and unity of the marriage bond. So what is he talking about here? Any significant sexual sin that so severely the, and severs the oneness and unity of the marriage bond. That is the grounds of divorce that Jesus is talking about here. But lest we get caught up kind of in the minutia and the details like the Pharisees, which to be honest, in preparation I did. I, there's all kinds of scenarios going on in my mind of maybe people I knew or, or just scenarios in, in my head. What about this? And what about this? I think what we need to do is kind of zoom out and to get the big picture, to realize the thrust or the emphasis of this passage that Jesus has. And besides, you know, Santo, he's going to come back and preach kind of more on some application of these principles, as well as the passage here on singleness next week. And so, again, I'm going to leave some of that stuff to him. But let's look at the main thrust that Jesus has um, in this passage. And I think the main thrust is this. He's saying, don't look for any and every excuse to walk away from your spouse and to find a new one. Don't look for any and every excuse to walk away from your spouse and to find a new one. Rather, because marriage is God's idea, because it's God's design, and because it's His plan, what He has joined together, do everything in your power to stay together. Obviously, that's everything in the power that God gives you through the Holy Spirit, And through fighting sin in your life and through the help of fellow believers who are fighting along with you, do everything in your power to stay together and not to walk away. You know, as Santo and I were talking about this passage, he reminded me of a lot of times when, you know, you hang out with teenagers and you're talking about this idea of sexual morality. What's the question? Where's the line, right? Right? Where's the line where I can tiptoe up to it and get kind of as close as I possibly can with the physical acts of my girlfriend or my boyfriend to say, that's not sin. But you know the problem there is that you're asking the wrong question. You're looking at it the wrong way. You're saying, how close can I get to the line or how close can I get to the fire without getting burned? When really the, the way that we should be thinking about it is, how can I stay as far as as possible from it? how can i stay away from that how can i do everything in my power not to get divorced or not to find a ground for a divorce but to seek forgiveness and to be forgiven and to forgive others forgive my spouse to be reconciled to one another through god to live in and out of the gospel to do everything in our power that god is transforming us he's making us new that we live and center ourselves on the gospel of Jesus Christ as a man and a woman. And we fight together. We fight to stay together. So we're not even thinking about that line. We're thinking about staying together for the long haul. One pastor, he makes a a comment here that's really helpful. He says, um, But divorce is never mandatory, not even in the case of adultery, although it is permitted in the case of adultery. We kind of talked about this being allowed, not commanded. It's permitted, even in the case of adultery. But how, how great would it be that there's a picture of Christ's work in the gospel in that marriage, that that spouse is able to forgive that other person, that Jesus is able to heal and, and, and bind up those broken wounds, even in the case of something like adultery. But at the end of the day, I think we have to be honest that there are sometimes in some situations where the wounds are so deep, so hurtful, cutting at the core of what was once unity, and is now separation because of sexual immorality, that maybe the, the, the only option that they see, the only option that is, is, is workable, is divorce. And Jesus does give that exception. He does allow that. He does permit that. read to you one more quote from a a commentator about verse 9. The exception is is given here and assumed by Mark because Jesus recognized that sexual unfaithfulness broke the marriage bond and freed the innocent spouse to remarry. The point was that the new sexual union invalidated the first union between the husband and wife. That's what sexual immorality does. If I were to go and to cheat on my wife, and to sleep with another woman, that new union would basically be voiding the union between me and my wife. It would break the oneness, the unity, and the bond that existed between me and her. And I was thinking about this, and and I came up with this statement. You cannot be one with more than one person. You cannot be one with more than one person. God says he is taking two and putting them together as one. Just as those rings say, the two become one. But you cannot be one more than one person. It's not God's intention. And that is why Jesus allows or permits this exception to divorce for the innocent party. So, I told you, a tough passage, Matthew 19. And we really didn't even get into a whole lot of the details of this passage I hope I was able to just get some of the big, broad strokes of this passage and really tee it up for some of the application questions that might be in your mind that Santo might address next week. It's a difficult topic for us and for many around us. And for many of us, maybe this hits closer to home than we would like it to. Like I said earlier, we've been deeply affected by it. But as we close, I want us to remember that there is hope. I don't want us to, to kind of walk with our heads down and, and to walk out saddened and, and, and hopeless. I think we are to be sad. We are to grieve the reality of divorce, the reality of the, the brokenness of marriages that should be won. But at the same time, we are to have hope. We are to have hope in Christ for those who are directly or indirectly affected by divorce. I think there's hope for uh, and through the gospel that these marriages can be reconciled before divorce and maybe even after divorce. There can be reconciliation. There can be mending. There can be a a restoration there through Jesus and through the gospel. There's hope in Christ even after after a, a, a divorce. There's healing in Christ after a divorce that has happened. There's hope that one day Jesus Christ Our own husband will come again for his bride, the church. And he will make sure that there's no separation between us and him. There's no breaking of that unity, of that oneness ever again. He will not allow or permit divorce between us and him, us the bride and him the groom. He will not allow that. And so we have a future hope. Like we talked about on Easter Sunday, there's a present hope. Yep, there's a past hope. And there's a future hope. I think the same applies here for us today. There is hope. There is hope for us to move forward in Jesus and in the gospel, even on topics as difficult as divorce. And so as we are reminded today of God's intention for marriage, that beautiful intention that many of us and many of our friends and family have been a part of and continue to strive to be a part of, There's also God's exception here for divorce on the grounds of sexual immorality. And so we pray that God would help us to keep our eyes fixed on him as we follow forward in what he has called us to. And even for those of us who are not married yet, this will be preparatory. That it prepare us to say, God, I want a marriage like that. I want a marriage like the beginning, like Adam and Eve had before the fall like maybe some of my friends have now in Jesus. I want a marriage like that. I want to go the long haul because it can happen in Jesus and it can happen in the gospel. I'm just asking not to give up hope for especially the younger generation who might have been or in the midst of being ravaged by some of those things. So why don't we pray as we get ready for our closing hymn. Father, we thank you uh, that you're so patient with us. God, thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, as we talk about so often here. Thank you for your grace and your kindness. Jesus, thank you for coming to the earth and engaging uh, people like the Pharisees over their questions so that it would teach us years and years later about your intentions for marriage. Thank you for showing us what marriage is and what it isn't. Thank you for putting your Holy Spirit in us to help us to live faithfully and fruitfully in marriage. God, I know we don't do it perfectly, but we pray for your help. Keep us going for the long haul, those of us who are married. Help us to love our spouses, Lord, to uh, be satisfied with them, to love them, to serve them, to sacrifice for them, and not to look around us for another Keep us from discontentment, Lord. God, we pray that you would uh, keep us from divorce. Maybe those who have experienced divorce, Lord, or are in the midst of that process or whatever it would be, we pray for healing. We pray for, God, your truth to come in and transform that whole situation. Help them to run to you and not not, um, far from you. God, help them to come and to be near to you, Lord, and to be healed. Pray that you would please now help us as we go out to have um, a good rest of our Sunday, Lord, our Lord's Day. Lord, that you would help it to be a day of rest and worship and uh, family time and um, just enjoying you, God, and glorifying you. Thank you for your word and thank you for uh, just gathering today as as believers. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Peter Eck. Assistant Pastor at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. New City's Sunday Sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh, God is written and performed by the Rev. Dr. Sandra Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New City's Sunday Sermon.